He's got a beautiful backswing. Dad, oh, he got all of that one. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. Lay up with an iron into the hazard. Well, that wasn't quite what I meant, you know. What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Jim Woodward with you to recap the 2023 Ryder Cup where, guys, we were right on the money. 16 and a half to 11 and a half. Europe wins the 2023 Ryder Cup at Marco Simone in Rome. T-Dub, what are your initial thoughts? Well, unfortunately, guys, we've been previewing this moment really from after the first morning session on Friday. When you lose four to nothing, the odds of you winning from that point are so microscopic that it's kind of a joke. So it's so hard to overcome that deficit. We're going to look back on this, guys. There's going to be a lot of things to talk about the Americans coming in very, very flat. Only three of the players, Max Homa, Justin Thomas, Brooks, Kepka, played any golf in the last five weeks leading up to this. I think that's going to be something the Americans drastically need to look at going forward when the Europeans came in here very, very fresh, especially because all of them played the BMW Championship at Whitworth not too long ago. And then we're going to look at the alternate shot format. As we alluded to earlier, losing 4 nothing the first session, then losing 3-1 and the alternate shot the next morning. So you lose 7-1 in that. That's a six-point difference. You end up losing the, the cup by five points. So you actually beat them whenever you add up the best ball format. That's the uh, second session where they had all the halves. They lost two-and-a-half to one-and-a-half. But then yesterday they ended up getting a three-to-one advantage, and then they split the single six-and-six. Six. So the alternate shot is definitely going to be the thing that we look back on and say, well, we're going to have to figure out some way to not let that continuously bring us down in the Ryder Cup. It's been a trend for almost three decades now that the alternate shot has been our kryptonite in this competition for whatever reason. And then Woody, we're going to question Zach Johnson, some of the things that he did. Throwing out the Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth team for a third time yesterday afternoon, and then you throw him out even before then in the alternate shot, which clearly was not going to be a good idea because Jordan Spieth was hitting his iron so atrociously bad the day before. that you really think that's going to be a good idea? So, I don't know, Woody. I think there's a lot of places to start, so I'll just go ahead and hand it off to you and what you thought. Well, Sam all along has been trying to get Hal Sutton off the worst captain ever. I think Zach just got it. <laughs> I, it I'll, I'll just I'll just say this, guys. When I added this thing up, what I looked at, Luke Donald's six picks scored ten points. Our six picks scored five points. Wins. I'm talking about wins. It's a great point. Well, what's the difference in the total? Five points. I think we need to quit worrying about being a fraternity. And how about we put the best 12 guys we've got? Because I got to tell you, watching this debacle, as I want to call it, I'm not going to say I could have hit better shots, but I think I could have on this case of space irons. They were, as you said, teed up horrendous. I've never, ever, seen an American team so flat, so pitiful. To lose by five were just lucky, uh, in my opinion. We had three guys that I thought played pretty decent. Brian Harmon played pretty doggone good. He lost today, but uh, he played good. Cantley played really good, and Max Homa. Other than that, gentlemen, if you you can find a bright spot with those other guys uh, bringing on, especially our six captain picks. 
were terrible. Absolutely terrible. So if you want just the brief point for me, which I'm really good at brief because I don't do all my statistics like you guys do. Our six guys sucked. Their six were pretty doggone good. Woody, you're right on the money. I mean, Ricky didn't win a match. Uh, obviously, Scotty didn't win a match. Jordan Speed didn't win a match. And when, like we said before this Ryder Cup, when Europe has three out of the top four guys in the world of golf, they are not underdogs. And then you add in the fact that a Spieth or a Scheffler, two of the guys that you expected to go out there and be a veteran presence on that U.S. team, um, they don't even win a match. That's where you get the blowout factor. Now, they made it a little bit interesting today on Sunday. But, fellas, I wanted to kind of start from the beginning and work our way back to the point we're at right now. Let's start with the foursomes that T-Dub mentioned. Those were the biggest reason why the Europeans won this Ryder Cup. And it started off in the morning, and we've heard a lot about how Luke Donald is the European captain instead of Henrik Stinson because Henrik Stinson went to live. But, fellas, I have to give it up to Luke Donald. I thought it was a genius move to put Victor Hovland and Ludwig Ober, as we're calling him now, even though he introduced himself to us, T-Dub, at the Big 12 Championships as Ludwig Aberg. Now it's Ludwig Ober. Uh, by the way... That was one of the greatest alternate shot pairings of all time. Two great young ball strikers to start off the momentum hot for the Europeans. And what do the Europeans do in that first foursomes match on Friday? They did something that hasn't been done since 1979. The U.S. never held a lead in any of the four matches for the first time in any session since 1979. And fellas, leading up to the four ball in the afternoon, it was the first time in any day in the history of the Ryder Cup that the U.S. did not win a match. We can talk all we want to about Zach Johnson but the players played terrible as well. I think Zach could have paired anybody together. This U.S. team, at least in the team matches, had zero dog in them. Well, throughout this podcast, I'm going to rip a lot of what the Americans did, but the Europeans deserve all the credit in the world. I think we'll look back on, guys, and maybe look at this team for the Europeans as being one of the more historic ones. You, or historic ones. you have Love Gayberg playing. He hasn't even played a major championship yet, and now all of a sudden teams over Victor Hovland creates one of the best duos that we've seen in some time, and so I think that we'll look back on say that's better. Hoygaard's only 22 years old. You have his twin brothers coming up as well, who was here this week, didn't play, but was at least there. So I feel like that this is going to be something I like the Europeans. Ironically, right there, they could have gone with Morant because Hoygaard was the only one that didn't win a match, right? I believe you're right on that, yes. Yes, uh, yeah, Hoygaard was the only one who did not get a – he did get half a point, but he did not get a, uh, a full point for winning any match, yes. But he actually did putt fairly well this week. But yes, Morant could have been a decent choice there. But I think we look back on it, I think Luke Donald did a very good job. You could definitely tell who the better captain was out of the two, and it wasn't even close whenever you look at the matchups and how everything was set up. But going back to the first session, yeah, you're right. It, it, I didn't even think it was possible to not lead one of the four matches at any point during the day. That's just astronomical that, that that's the case. And then you have stuff like Victor Hovland chipping in on the very first hole for them to go one up in that match. So you knew that the Things were just going to go the Europeans' way. You had John Rom hole out three times in the first uh, first two sessions. You had all these different things. The Europeans were just making putts when the Americans weren't, which is something that we all predicted 
what's going to go, what's going to happen leading into this. And then you have the element of also they played in the morning. The other group didn't, but the two teams that we hear about all the time in these unbeatable duos, the Shawflake Cantley team and the Speed JT group, they were horrible. I don't think any of them won a match at all. I think the, the Speed Thomas group tied in the, in the afternoon best ball. But then uh, out of that, the, every other time they lost, Woody. So you have your staple teams that are supposed to be dominant, and they go out there and get their ass kicked. That's never a good thing. And, and Woody, let's talk about just that Saturday four-ball match where Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth were paired together because there was a lot of talk about how, oh, look, Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth got a half point. Well, guess what? Jordan Speed didn't even get a point on Saturday or Sunday, so it turned out to be a completely wrong decision to keep pairing those guys together. But in that specific match, then we'll get to Saturday. In that specific match, Justin Thomas did make putts on 18 and on 15, but on 16 and 17. On 16, he had a putt to tie the hole, and on 17, he had a putt to win the hole, and he could not make those dagger putts that the U.S. so desperately needed at that point. We said that when this thing started. What did we have to do? We had to get the momentum going on our side to quiet the crowd. Well, you didn't even have to really watch what was going on the TV. All you had to do is listen to the crowd on your TV we couldn't quiet them. We never quieted them. And those three, you know what? Those three superstars for them, when you get right down to it, when you think about McElroy, Rom, and Hoblin, look at how well they performed under the gun. Our three guys, uh, not so much. And what we said is we didn't have superstars. We had really good players, but none of them, none of them really showed up. I mean, Kudos to Cantley for getting in the mix and getting us even where it was close coming back to get us to, you know, that 3-1 in that afternoon session. I love it that we had LaCava ready to fight. That's always good. Uh, you know, it, it was it was the frustration. You could see the frustration in the Americans, but they brought it on themselves. They never really did anything to get motivated. And when they finally did, when Cantley made that putt, we almost get in a fight with Rory. So. You know, from the get-go, I'm not like you guys. I did not get up early Friday morning. I got under my seat with my coffee, turned on the TV, and I looked up at the screen and it said, Europe 4, America 0. And I went, oh, damn, this is not good. (laughs) When I saw 4-0, I didn't know how bad we were going to get beat, but it was like T-Dub says, you're not coming back from that. That momentum was set right then. It was it was there. Then that afternoon, we looked like we were going to make a move, kind of, and then we threw up all over ourselves coming down the stretch, mm-hmm. and it ends up boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. And, you know, I watched a little today, guys, just to be honest with you. I watched some of those singles matches to see where we were going. And even when we kind of thought, well, wait a minute, all those guys at the back back there, JT, Speed, Ricky, they just didn't have it this week. I don't know. Uh, alternate shot is something I don't know why we're so bad at, but we are terrible at it. An alternate shot, it, it did set the momentum, obviously winning all four matches on Friday morning. 
But Friday afternoon, fellas, was where I really thought the Europeans gained all the momentum, stealing those half points in the Hovland-Hatton versus Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas match where Hovland makes the 30-footer on 18 to get the half point. Then you have Rom eagling two out of the last three to tie Scheffler and Kepka, And then you had Justin Rose make the putt to have that match against Wyndham Clark and Max Homa. Those three half points right there were massive coming down the stretch in singles, T-Dub. There literally could not have been a worse start for the Americans when it comes to Friday and a better start for the Europeans. In that morning after, in that morning alternate shot session, you didn't even have a match get to the 18th hole and you still got swept four to nothing. That shows how lackluster they truly were. And then the only thing that was going to give the Americans any shot is if they were able to generate a bunch of momentum going into Saturday. And what happened? They actually did create a little momentum and they got completely pancaked on the 18th hole with Victor Hovland making 26 footers. You had John Raw making long eagle putts. You had Wyndham Clark and Max Homa choking down the stretch with Rose making a punt on them as well. So there was literally the only chance that we had, Woody, was for them to keep that momentum that they had in the middle of that session. And they completely lost it at that point. If it wasn't over when it was 4 nothing in the morning, it was definitely over at that point. Yeah, my, my adopted son, Caleb King, said it best. He says, we got no dog. We got no fight. Uh, we're just not hungry enough. And that's that's kind of our American team. They're pretty fat and happy. They fly on their private jets. They turn their hats around backwards when we're getting our ass handed to us. They act like it's not a big deal at times. And I know it is. But then you got the two captains. Well, Luke Donald just buried Zach Johnson with that pairing of Luke uh, Aberg and uh, Hoblin. Wow, was that genius. And to come out playing alternate shot, the first first duos, the first start of the thing, alternate shot, he knew we weren't any good at it, and if you'd asked Luke Donnelly, he wouldn't have believed we were four going to get 4-0, and oh, but he, he was smart. He he did his homework. We brought the fraternity boys together, and guess what? They flunked out. It was like Animal House. Their, their grades this week were 0. 0.0. <laughs> hey, one more match that I need to talk about that I felt like got a little bit overlooked was before we get to Saturday, uh, Friday afternoon four ball, you had Rory McIlroy and Matty Fitz versus Colin Morikawa and Xander Shoffley. Xander Shoffley coming into this Ryder Cup was supposed to be the guy we worried about the least, fellas. And guess what Xander Shoffley's record was this week? Xander Shoffley went 1-3-0 and in this Ryder Cup. He was pathetic Every single time they came back from commercial, uh, which was a lot, by the way, Xander Shoffley was missing a key putt. You know who was making the key putts? That was Matthew Fitzpatrick in that Friday four ball on the front nine with birdies on two, three, four, five, six. And then Rory gets one on seven. Fellas, Matthew Fitzpatrick was huge for the team. And and guys like Hatton, the other guys that were paired with the Hovlands and the Roms and the Rorys of the world were putting really solid on Friday. Before we get to Saturday, last thoughts on Friday, T-Dub. Top to bottom, dominant performance. That's really the only thing that can be said about it. And then, yeah, Shopla, he's probably going to be the most disappointing guy, at least for the Americans. He wasn't the lowest in points. That goes to Ricky Fowler, who went 0-2. But Shopla only getting one point, as, as I mentioned earlier, the team of him and Cantley not getting any points is something that you're not going to be able to come back from that. If your top duo is going out there and laying eggs, 
not going to be ideal. And then in the best ball, in the match you alluded to, it decides to break the pairing up and puts Morikawa to Shoffley, and they go out and get their doors blown off by Rory and Fitzpatrick. So, yeah, just literally nothing good that you can say, Woody. And I think we're going to look back on Friday and say that it's probably, for the long, hopefully it's for a long time, the worst performance that the United States has ever had on any day in the Ryder Cup history. Well, it bodes well for the Europeans because what you said, their rookies that he put out there performed very well. And I don't know that they're going to go away in the next two years before they come back to the U.S. soil. I guess the most exciting thing for me Friday afternoon, guys, and I hate to even tell you this, was I had a a snake in my chicken coop eating one of the eggs, and uh, I had to drag that son of a bitch out and kill it. Um, that was that was the most exciting part of Friday afternoon for me. Uh, the golf was just a total letdown. So I just had to bring up a little farm story to add some humor to this because it's, it's not funny. We got lambasted, but I don't know how to talk about it without getting irritated. So instead, I went out and found that snake in my chicken coop, and I took it out on him. Now, what do you were right in your prediction, though? So that's one thing you can feel good about about this Ryder Cup. Let's get to Saturday. Fellas, you guys were just talking about hopefully you never see a loss this bad from the American side. Now, let me tell you, on Saturday morning, an alternate shot, who had the worst literal loss of all time in the history of the Ryder Cup, at least in team matches, that would go to Scotty Scheffler and Brooks Kepka losing 9-7 and seven to Victor Hovland and Ludwig Obert. Guys, I mean, this was a mixture between Hovland and Obert playing great golf, but at the same time, I think they went par-par bogey to start the, the foursomes match and were three up through three, fellas. The Hovland and Obert were... Three up through three. Uh, just going par, par, bogey. The Scotty Scheffler Brooks Kepka alternate shot pairing doesn't make much sense in hindsight from Zach Johnson. The other thing in Saturday morning alternate shot that didn't make much sense was throwing Jordan Speeth and Justin Thomas out there against the Europeans. Probably best alternate shot team with Rory McIlroy and Tommy Fleetwood on paper. I mean, fellas, they, Rory McIlroy and Tommy Fleetwood win 2-1 and one over Jordan Spieth, who played terrible, and Justin Thomas, uh, who was trying to backpack Jordan Spieth, but obviously JT didn't even have his best stuff. Now, the U.S. did find something with the Max Homa-Brian Harmon pairing. They won both of their matches on Saturday. In the morning, they won over Shane Lowry and Sepp Straka. But then, like we said, John Rahm is still hanging out right there with Terrell Hatton. They win 2-1 and one over Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley, the team that the U.S. didn't have to worry about. They're going to put points on the board. Guess what? They didn't. Uh, John Rahm and Terrell Hatton win 2-1 and one over Patrick Cantlay and Xander Shoffley. T-Dub first, give your thoughts on Hovland and Aubert just absolutely boat racing. Two guys that I actually love, but they played horrible. Scotty Scheffler and Brooks Kepka. Under domination, you get up early Saturday and you see that one of the matches is already done and you're like, wait, how is this possible? Nine and seven? It, there's only there's only two other possibilities that you could have worse than that. You could have nine and eight or you could have ten and eight. That's the only other way you get your ass kicked more than this. So, yes, congratulations, Kai Scheffler and Brooks Kepka. You do have made United States history. They just played absolutely horrible. Scheffler lost about four and a half shots that round and then uh, Kepka did the exact same thing. They just played absolutely horrible. They hit their driver bad, hit their irons bad, and then their short games were absolutely horrible as well. So, yeah, just nothing good was coming from that, and Hovland and Aberg played absolutely 
dominant. Hovland had the the best Ryder Cup out of anyone, in my opinion. It was just goes back to they had such good chemistry, uh, Obear and Hovland did, and then they were able to feed off each other. That's going to be a pairing that I feel like that we see for a long, long time. And thank God for Brian Harmon and Max Homa. Harmon had the, probably the best morning that an American had, or out of the leading, before the singles matches, he had had by far the best session that any American had had in that, that morning alternate shot. So thank God for him and Scott Tway, Woody, because if not, we would have got swept against. Well, what you got to love most about that nine and seven, if you're European, is Bruce Kepka talking smack on John Rom that last, you know, that night before that match. So, uh, you know, don't poke the bear. Too many Christmas, Kepka. Keep your mouth shut. Uh, but as it worked out, we all wanted what we want to have really happen. Even Scotty B said it. We'd like Hovland to have a good Ryder Cup. Well, he had a good Ryder Cup. A great Ryder Cup. Hovland. Yeah, Hovland, Hovland was just so solid. He is playing such great golf. And, uh, you know, I, I just I just kind of chuckled. I've, I'm kind of like T-Dub. I didn't get up early again because why? Why would I want to watch this? And and I, I saw nine and seven, and then I saw Sheffler crying behind the green. I wanted to say, there's no crying in golf. Quit that. Um you know, but I understand the, the just the dismantling that happened and how frustrating that would be. I'd like to give Sheffler a lot of credit today that he played John Rahm to a tie uh, in the singles because that boy was devastated. He uh, That was probably, if you look at all of our players, even though Shoffley was a big letdown, Scheffler's the one you're going to look at and go, man, I mean, he didn't do anything. That was a rough three days for Scotty Scheffler. Victor Hovland made him cry. Victor Hovland literally made him cry. Yeah, and Hovland didn't care. Hovland Hovland (laughs) had his foot on our throat, and he was not backing off and never did. Not one match. Did Hovland not look like he was trying to beat us like a yard dog? Okay. If there was so, one match, uh, Woody, it would be the Saturday afternoon four balls where Victor Hovland and Obear lost four and three to Sam Burns and Colin Morikawa. That's when you thought the U.S. team might have a little bit of fight. That was the only match that Victor Hovland lost in this Ryder yeah. Cup. You had Max Homa and Brian Harmon also win two and one over Tommy Fleetwood and Nikolai Hoygaard. Um, just Justin Rose and Robert McIntyre did win three and two over, guess who, Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth. And then we got to Hatgate, fellas. I got to get your thoughts on Hatgate from Saturday afternoon leading into Sunday. Patrick Cantlay and Wyndham Clark up against Matty Fitz and Rory McIlroy. Patrick Cantlay makes the putt on 18 to win the match one up over Matt Fitzpatrick and Rory McIlroy in Saturday four ball. And fellas, we heard a lot of talk throughout the week from Jamie Weir, whether it was true or not. It doesn't sound very true to me. It sounds like he might have asked the question, but it didn't seem like it caused any rift in the American locker room, considering the fact they came out and supported Patrick Cantlay heavily after that. Um, But the rift, apparently, at least in the reports from Jamie Weir, were that Patrick Cantlay was not wearing a hat in this Ryder Cup because he wanted to be paid to wear the Ryder Cup logo on his hat, which was very controversial, and the European fans were waving the hat throughout the day. 
at Patrick Cantlay. And when Patrick Cantlay makes the putt on 18 on Saturday in the best ball match to win the match, Patrick Cantlay, you know, looks at the the rest of the U.S. team and they're all giving him the hat tip, waving their hats in the air. And then Joey LaCava is waving his hat in the air. Rory has a problem with it as he's trying to line up his own birdie putt. Tempers flared over into the parking lot. Rory had to be put in the car by Shane Lowry. It was a little bit of, in my mind, much ado about nothing considering the Europeans were dominating. And the only drama that we could find was from a caddy, from Joey LaCava. I mean, the U.S. was doing what they should have done, but at the same time, they were doing the only thing they could do to try to manufacture some momentum going into Sunday singles. I actually think it worked against them considering how fiery Rory looked today, dominating in his singles match, T-Dub. But what were your thoughts on Hatgate? I think Joey LaCava pulled out a classic Chevy Ballesteros move. Just said, that we're going to try to win this Ryder Cup under any means possible, we've got a jingle change in the backswing. If we got to in the shadow over right when you're about to putt, anything you got to do to try to win, that's what Joey was trying to do. Once you saw the long video of how long Lakava was waving his hat around and purposely walking closer it to was Rory's BS. ball, it, right. I have no, I don't even like, I hate Rory to be honest, and everything he says in the media, but I understand why Rory was upset. I thought it was BS by Joey Lakava, to be honest. They're comparing it to 99 when Leonard and everyone goes and runs on the 17th green at Brookline because they get so excited when we made it. And I believe it was Olathaba who he was playing has a putt to still keep the match going. And then ends up missing, obviously, saying he trampled on the green. So they're comparing it to that. I don't think it was as egregious as that was. But then go back to the actual situation of why the rumor was he wasn't wearing the hat. For one, I didn't even think that it was – it's hard to believe in my mind that you that someone could be so soft to think that I'm not going to play the Ryder Cup or I'm going to do something I usually wouldn't do in the Ryder Cup because I'm not being paid. The lack of tradition and respect for the game of golf would just be – it's hard for me to even fathom that someone would be able to do that. That's why I didn't believe it was true. I think the point that you just made earlier, Sam, was great. The fact that all the teammates came and was real supportive, Kaylee, I think, shows that it wasn't true and there wasn't a whole lot of rift. And at, at the end of the day – the, the top Europeans, we're talking about the captain's picks earlier playing a lot better, but the top Europeans played a lot better. Hovland, Rom, Rory, and Fleetwood played better than any American did. So it, it's just from top to bottom, Woody, that they played better, and they tried to manufacture a little bit of momentum, but it was too little too late, and they just weren't, the, the top players just were not playing anywhere close to the same caliber as the Europeans were. Well, the frustration, I think, had, had mounted to a point there, and, and, and LaCava's a fiery Son of a gun, you guys! I always lo- I loved getting paired whenever he was Fred Couples caddy because it Tell was us a story. Tell us a story, Woody. Well, I mean, Lacaba was always just such a, uh, uh, a a guy that you wanted to be around all the time when you played. Couples always made golf look so easy, and Lacaba would just giggle at some of the stuff that 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 Freddie would do. Uh, LaCava was the guy that pointed out the time at Riviera that the girl was uh, didn't have panties on and wanted to know if I wanted a good-looking shot of that. And uh, LaCava <laughs> La was always the guy that was such a, a, a stoic figure yet had a sense of humor that was just massive. I mean, he was such a funny guy. But – I know him also. He doesn't like to lose. I don't think any of these guys like to lose. I, I don't think Cantley 
was not wearing the hat for that. Uh, I think the, you guys, I don't know if you remember back, what that got started a long time ago, and it was Tiger Woods that brought it up. And the PGA of America started doing a deal. Now, whether they still do it, I don't know, that the players all got to donate, I think, $100,000 to their favorite charities. PGA would donate $100,000 to all their favorite charities, each guy. And I think they're still doing that. I'd have to go back and check the records. Tiger's the first one to bring all that up, guys. So uh, I don't think Cantley was doing that. Uh, LeCabo, you're right, Sam. He, he took it too far. But I think that was the frustration that was built up and when you're on that foreign soil, uh, those Europeans, they're, 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 they're cordial, but they're great with a needle. I mean, they can find a way to needle our players uh, probably a lot better than Americans can. Our Americans need to realize that, that when they come back in two years, we better have a needle that's just as sharp as theirs because they are really good at getting us frustrated. And you know why and they're really good, Woody? It's because they understand the game of golf and they follow it really close. So they know right. they knew, even if it wasn't true, that it would get under his skin. I, I'm not right, sure the American right. fans are that smart. But no, I think the American fans go and drink a lot of beer and, and have a great time. Uh, the Europeans, they wanted it worse than we wanted it. And until we get 12 guys, 12 what we really see after all this, guys, is we need to figure out a way that, that Taylor Gooch should have been on that team. Bryson DeChambeau should have been on that team. Uh, Dustin Johnson should have known that if he played good, he could get on the team. Yeah. I, I think Dustin Johnson just knew he wasn't going to get picked no matter what he did, yeah. okay? Yeah. If he wasn't in the top six, he wasn't going to get there. So, you know, we, we, we notoriously step on our own foot all the time we did not have our best 12 guys there whose fault is that that's our fault that's the american's fault so because we're getting our own way okay we deserve to lose and in a funny kind of way i'm glad we did lose because we didn't have our top players there we know we didn't gentlemen and if somebody wants to argue with us on our podcast we need to open up phone lines at some point because I'll argue with anybody that wants to argue that if you think we picked the best six guys to be on that team, well, need I tell you they want a total of five points again? Our six picks want a grand total of five points, okay? So don't tell me we had the best six guys because that's focus. And this frustration rolled over. I hate it that it happened, but if there was one guy that was going to do it, it was Joey LaCava. <laughs> sure enough, he did it. No doubt about it. And we'll get more into what the U.S. could have done better after the break, fellas. But we need to finish up this recap here. The last thing I have for Saturday is, like I said, we talked about Hatgate, but Max Homa and Brian Harmon winning 2-1, and one, their second match of the day. One thing I didn't have on my Ryder Cup bingo card, speaking of caddies, T-Dub, I didn't have Scott Tway gaining more Ryder Cup points than Scott Scheffler. Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, Scott, Brian Harmon playing as good as he did in that Saturday morning was the only thing that didn't get us from being swept for a second consecutive time in the alternate shot. That would have been the utter embarrassment if that was what transpired. But, yes, it's either going to be Xander Schauffele or Scott Scheffler that you're going to give the most disappointing American to. Them going a combined 1-5-2 and two is something that you're not going to be able to come back from. As I mentioned earlier, you have the likes of Victor Holland going 3-1-1. One, one. Rom went uh, oh. Uh, he went 2-0-2. Oh, 
Rory went four and one. Fleetwood went three and one. It's whenever your top dogs are playing that dominant, and you come in and go five weeks without golfing, it's going to be hard to come back from. But yes, it was great to see Brian Harmon and Scott Toy out there play some good golf because they played good on Friday or on on Saturday, both in the morning and afternoon. So yes, very good to see. And like like you mentioned, Sam, if Scotty Scheffler is going to play that bad, it's going to be hard to win the Ryder Cup, especially on Ford soil. It's impossible to win the Ryder Cup when your number one player in the world plays that poorly. You're, you're just not going to do it. And, and and you know what? Give those Europeans credit because every time the Americans look like they were going to try to do something, the Europeans did what they have to, whatever, whether it was chipping in, making a long putt, driving a par four green. Every time they had to stop that momentum, they stopped it, and they stopped it cold. So – you know, we can beat up our American team, which we we have every right to. We're Americans. We deserve that. But you still got to give those Europeans credit. Man, they came to play, and they played. They played really great golf this week. So the Europeans end Saturday up 10.5 to 5.5, headed into Sunday singles. And uh, let's just go match by match here, give our thoughts on each match, fellas. Match one was John Rahm against Scotty Scheffler, a premier match of the day. It ends up tied, or they have the match, if you like the old way of saying it, John Rahm wins 18 to get the half point in that one. Thoughts on this match, T-Dub? Sheffler really needed to go out and get that point for the Americans to have any glimmer of hope. Really, after that made a half point, there was too many things that had to transpire for the Americans to win. And even with the late push that some of those middle matches had, it still wasn't enough. So Sheffler made the, uh, that par on 18. Had he been able to make birdie, it seemed like all the Americans kept hitting it. The guys that made it to 18 kept hitting it on that right side. They kept getting some really bad lies, tricky lies, so that was something to look at. And then we're going to look back on Scheffler in this singles match, lost a, shot, a shot and a half on the greens. So what? He, same story, different day. If Scheffler could have made some putts, probably would have ran away with this match. I can't say that more beautifully than you did. Um, it, it, it just seems like, uh, you know, Azinger made a, a, a quote here late today where he was talking about the 18th hole, how many times the Europeans, win on the 18th hole compared to the Americans. And it was like 20 times in the last 10, 12 Ryder Cups. Uh, the, the Europeans, they just seem to have more dog in them when it gets down to those last, you know, few holes. We we don't seem to close well, and we really don't close when we're on European soil. We, we really get beat up there. Scheffler. I, I'll give him a little credit that he, he, he got a tie, uh, but he, we needed a win. But, boy, how hard is that to do when you've played as bad as Scotty has this, this week, and then you send him out against John Rahm and you expect him to win? I thought a tie was a victory. But we knew, guys, going into this singles, what we had to win eight and a half points. When you looked at our lineup and how they were playing, uh, did you see eight guys that could win a match? No. I didn't, and 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 nor did anybody else. And then when the total was done, we didn't. But I'm a little bit proud. I got a little pride for Scheffler that he could suck it up after getting beat up like he has and and tied John Rom. That's pretty good. 
Yeah, and by the way, I probably should have started with this before the Sunday singles, but the largest comebacks entering singles on Sunday were obviously 1999 at the Country Club when Justin Leonard made the putt. The U.S. trailed 10-6. to Remember, this year it was 10.5 to 5.5. The U.S. in 99 won 14.5 to 13.5. In 2012 at Medina, the Europeans trailed 10-6 to as well, and they also won 14.5 to 13.5 historically even headed into Sunday it was just too big of a hole that the U.S. had dug for themselves too many ties you know would win the Ryder Cup for the Europeans coming down the stretch it's just impossible Um, but let's go through this Victor Hovland in match two wins four and three over Colin Morikawa that was a personal match. We talk about, you know, taking things personal with Deion Sanders in college football. That was a personal match for Victor Hovland, considering he had to sit through Colin Morikawa winning two major championships. People telling, you know, obviously it was Matthew Wolf, Victor Hovland, and Colin Morikawa all coming out of college at the same time. Who's going to be better out of those guys? And Victor Hovland had to sit through a couple years of people saying, you know, Colin Morikawa is clearly the best. Well, now Victor Hovland is coming. And I think that that match not only meant something for the European Ryder Cup team on this Sunday, getting their first full point of the day in match two, winning four and three, but I think that was a statement win for Victor Hovland saying, hey, don't forget about me. I think that I am the best of those three guys. I guarantee you that that crossed Victor Hovland's mind today. You have to assume so. This was just in the class of golfer that showed up to this event was not even the same realm when you compare Hovland and Morikawa. Over the course of their careers, they've both been exceptionally. But at this tournament, Hovland plays so much better than Morikawa has. It's not even funny. And especially today, analytically, the only player who played better than Hovland today was Rory, who played exceptional. And But Hovland just played both class Morikawa. There was only three players today that played worse. Morikawa did. He lost strokes in every single category. And, and to your point earlier, the biggest single day matchup the singles match is tied six to six the largest that it's ever been ever in one side is eight and a half to three and a half so there's never been a situation where a team has won nine points in the single session and what they had to do they had to get an eight and a half today just to be able to get 14 14 tie to ensure that they retain the cup because that was the tiebreaker for them winning it last year so yeah just too many things had to go the way and in particularly this match woody victor hovland in September, the, the start of October in 2023, Victor Hovland is so much better than Colin Morikow, who is right now. Thanks, buddy. Well, because he can putt, too. I mean, Victor's got it all going right now. If you, Even Victor's short game, guys. I mean, he holds a bunker shot. He, I don't know how many bunker shots he hit that were close. He's doing everything right right now. It, it, and that's what we talked about going into this. They had the three best playing guys golf-wise right now. Victor was head and shoulders above everybody else. So I think golf is so tough because, it, it, you know, it's ebbs and flows and everybody has their little moments. But uh, all the people you don't want to play right now is Victor Hovland. Do not play. And Sam, if he shows out up at Oak Tree and he gives you six aside, don't play. Do not do it. <laughs> hey, no. Okay? I'm do not that not. stupid, Woody. I'm yeah, not that not stupid. Do not go against him hey, right one, now. one argument that I, I did have with one of my golf buddies today was – who ends up with more major championships? Real quick, let's take an aside real quick. 
Colin Morikawa has two right now, but Victor Hovland is coming. I said I would bet a pizza right now that Victor Hovland ends up with more major championships than Colin Morikawa. Do you guys agree or disagree with me? You know, if I had to pick someone, I would probably go Hovland, even though Morikawa does have a two a major head start right now. But something inside of me says they're both going to end up with three. I think that's going to be the end number for both of them is three. So give me the tie, Woody. I know that's kind of a cop-out answer, but I'm going with the tie. Yeah, you've been teaching already too long. You got you take that easy What way a fence-sitter, Woody. <laughs> yeah, come on, man. Gee whiz, are you getting politically correct after two months as a teacher? I can't believe it. Uh, what if I'm right, Woody? What if they both end up with three? I'm just trying to speak facts. That's all I'm trying I hope I, I hope I'm dead and gone so you can't rub it in my face, okay? So, um, you know, a 2-0 lead is pretty big when you're talking about major, Sam. That's, that's going out on a pretty good limb. And, and with golf, we don't know what the history of their health is going to be and where they're going. If I look at the dynamics of the two players, Morikawa is as straight as a string, but he's always seems to fight his putting, okay? So if you're not a great putter, it's hard to win major championships. I think of all the great major winners, they were all pretty doggone good putters. Victor's short game has gotten so much better at his putting, and that being said, I'm going to go with Hovland, and I don't think Hovland's going to just win three. I think Hovland could win five or more. And the thing with Hovland is he's going to consistently be up there on leaderboards. We saw it this year in the major championships. He didn't get it done, but he got it done in the FedEx Cup, and I think that is propelling him to just being more and more confident. If you don't go with Rory as the MVP for the European squad, it has to be Hovland or Rom, like we said before, before the Ryder Cup even started, fellas. Match three today was Patrick Cantlay versus Justin Rose. This was an entertaining match because Justin Rose, after being three down, did win 12 13. He lost 14, but then he won 15. So Justin Rose had a little fight in him on that back nine, but then Patrick Cantlay slammed the door with his win on 17. Guys, a lot of talk about Cantlay this week. I got to give it up to him. As much as, you know, he might be boring, might be this, might be that, you got to give it up to Patrick Cantlay for trying to ignite this U.S. squad with the win late on Saturday and then winning his Sunday singles match. He played a whole lot better than his partner Xander Shoffley did over there. Oh, there's no doubt about it. Homa's going to have the most points out of any American, but uh, Patrick Cantlay had played the best analytically. He gained six shots, 6.27 total. Homa gained 5.9. So Cantlay technically had the best analytically Ryder Cup for the Americans and Rose had a very good Ryder Cup as well. He had the best putting week of any uh, out of any European or American. He was the best putter that was there. So yeah, that was a, a pretty good match that come down to be. Canley just played a little bit better this week at Gate. I feel like something that maybe motivated him. He's kind of the quiet assassin. He's known for playing notoriously slow golf, and then all of a sudden you have the Hat Gate thing to come out. So he's going to kind of use that to motivate him. I think that it did. Rose show, always shows up for the Ryder Cups. He always has throughout his entire career. So for Cantley to go out and beat a veteran like that was something the Americans needed. It was just too little, too late. Cantley had to win today after LaCava's little show he put on. You know, it was just important for Cantley to go out and try to quiet those Europeans as best he could. I, I would have liked to have been on that first tee because I bet it was ugly down there for both LaCava and Cantley. 
Uh, you said it best. He's a quiet little assassin. He, he is not my favorite player, but I do have to give him a lot of credit for how he was able to, uh, you know, just kind of make himself kind of almost uh, Teflonish and just fight through. But he brought it on himself. So, I mean, you know, so when you poke the bear, as we say, get ready because you better be ready to back it up. And, and Cantley did. I was proud of him this week. No doubt about it. And he's been used to shots, whether it was Brooks Kepka taking shots at his slow play in the Masters or the European crowd early on in this week. Like you said, he was Teflon on Saturday afternoon and Sunday. Let's get to match four. The person that I felt the most sorry for for the U.S. squad this morning was Sam Burns having to go up against Rory McIlroy after having to be held back in the parking lot by Shane Lowry. You know, I think in the parking lot, by the way, we didn't really dive into that. I think he was yelling at Bones McKay, but I think it was really a message trying to send to Joey LaCava, right? I don't think he was mad at Bones. I think he was still mad at Joey LaCava saying, Bones, you tell Joe that I said this. And then Joe came out this morning, said they had a meeting between Joey Lacava and Rory McIlroy this morning and that they were all good. Well, then after Rory's match, Rory ended up saying, hey, that's not true. We never met. I never met Joe was the quote from Rory McIlroy. So still a little bit of rift there between Patrick Cantlay's caddy, Joey Lacava and Rory McIlroy. But fellas, I felt bad for Sam Burns because Rory wasn't losing today. He ends up winning three and one. No, we talked earlier about the Hovland Morikawa being outclassed at, at this point. McElroy versus Burns right now wasn't even a contest. You knew when you saw that matchup. You said, yeah, there's going to be no way. The only chance Burns had is if he just made every putt that he looked at. He actually putted very well today. He, he gained the most strokes on the greens today out of anyone for the Europeans or the Amer- for the Americans. But the problem was, was that Rory was just was not going to be beat on this, uh, this, this afternoon, I guess would have been. Over there, so yeah, not not much more you can say about that, Woody. Three and one. Uh, part of me says if Sam Burns hadn't been able to putt as good as he had, he needed to make every single thing. He still missed a couple of putts, but had he not even not made those putts, it would have been a, a bigger ass kicking than it even was. I knew when he sent out when Luke Donald sent out his studs that this thing was over because of just what you're saying. Rory was not going to lose today. I didn't think John Rahm was going to lose today. I knew Victor Hovland wasn't going to lose today. So, uh, you know, why not? build it that get it to 14 as quick as you can basically 14 and a half to win but uh i knew that the writing was on the wall but uh i mean rory i don't like him i I just like him more than sam does trust me i get so so sick of the whining baby but uh i gotta give him credit what credit's due he played an awesome Ryder cup and they needed him too and uh he was a different guy than he was at whistling straight No doubt about that. Uh, Fellas, let's skip match five because match six and match seven actually ended before match five. Match six was Tyrrell Hatton versus Brian Harmon, and Tyrrell Hatton in this match was dominant. He won one, three, and four to go three up through four holes. Then Brian Harmon wins five and nine to make it only a one-up match for Tyrrell Hatton, but then Hatton wins 11 and 13, uh, and they split 15 and 16 and when that putt drops on 16 for Tyrrell Hatton he wins three and two over Brian Harmon 
Tyrrell Hatton's match was huge for the Europeans because if that match would have gone the other way, we might be talking about the biggest comeback in U.S. history or Ryder Cup history. This could be said for a lot of matches because when you need eight and a half or more points to secure the victory, you say you need a win almost every match. But this was one truly the Americans really needed to win. I thought they might have been able to. Brian Harmon, as we've alluded to over the last few months, not the type of game you want to see in match play. The guy's going to hit a lot of fairways for the ball around the green. Even if he misses the green, he's going to get up and down. He's going to make a lot of par saves, a lot of things you're going to do to agitate you. And what's Hatton known for? His anger. So he could have gotten under his skin a little bit. Unfortunately, Hatton just played exceptionally well today. Only three players uh, for the Americans or the Europeans played better than Hatton did. So he just came out and gave his best stuff out there. Hatton gained more than a shot on the greens, made the putts where he needed to. And Brian Harmon just didn't play didn't have his best stuff today either. He lost about, uh, what he lose, about .8 shots total. He had his irons really bad today. He lost more than a full shot on that area. So, Woody, a match that the Americans truly needed, as we said, a lot, you can say that about almost every match. They really needed this one, and unfortunately, Hatton just played a lot better than Harmon did. Hatton is always very underrated, in my opinion. He is uh, he is solid. He is a really, really good player. I, I agree we really had to have that match. I disagree, Sam, even if we'd had that match. You're going to count on uh, Wyndham Clark and Justin <laughs> Thomas and Jordan Spieth. I'm saying well, at the I time, think, Woody. I'm I not think, saying yeah. after the fact. Yeah, I know. But even at the time, I would have called bull on that, my friend. I mean, that's. That's when you're living a pipe dream. That's like another uh, farm story. It's me out there picking stickers thinking that I'm going to get them all. Because every time you dig up two or three, there's about <laughs> seven more you see. So uh, they, we were not going to win. I don't care how you guys cut it. We weren't winning. I can tell you that. One guy that really wanted to win for the United States today was Brooks Kepka, especially after losing 9-7 and seven to Ludwig Ober and Victor Hovland yesterday. He gets paired up against Ludwig Ober in singles. And this, if anyone was as motivated as Rory McIlroy was, it was probably Brooks Kepka to go out and show the young man, Ludwig Ober, that Brooks Kepka is still a five-time major champion. Brooks wins three and two in that match. Ober's going to be a star, but uh, Brooks came out on this Sunday with something to prove after taking the ass-kicking that he did yesterday. And how about that for Lovick? Just saying, hey, you've never played in a major, so here you go. Why don't you play the guy that has five major championships? Here you go. Good luck with that. And unfortunately, Lovick just played really, really bad today. He lost almost three shots with his irons and, and over two shots around the greens as well. There was only two players for the Americans or Europeans that played worse than Lovick Big did today. So it made Kepka's job a little bit easier. Kepka still played pretty well, gained more than, uh, than a full shot when you add up everything. Kepka hit his irons really good today as well, gaining more than two and a half shots there. So, yeah, Woody, whenever you just say that on paper, a guy who's never played in a major versus a guy who wins five, I would say 75 to 80% of the time you're going to take the guy that has five. Unless the situation you're talking about Lee Trevino or somebody 70 years old, which isn't the case at this point. So, yeah, I think when you just look at that, you have to go with Kepka most of the time, even though Lou Vig is probably going to get a few majors before his career is over with. I think he was tired. I think Edberger was tired. Um, I tell you, I know he's only 23 years old, but there's so much emotion to go into this. And that was a that's a lot of pressure to put on him early, and he came through in the clutch. And, I, you know, I think Victor, that one match he lost, I, he was a little tired. I mean, guys, it's hard to keep that kind of emotion going. And it's a roller coaster. And that's a lot of stuff happening in three days. So, 
uh, I, I, I think, though, that Kepka was making a statement. Hey, I know this kid's good, and I know he's going to be really good, but I am the guy that has five majors. I am the guy that nobody gives me any credit. So, uh, But, you know, with Kepka, you know, not only did he piss Roy off, I think he pissed off his fellow live guys when he said, hey, you could have qualified too. So I, I don't really think Brooks Kepka goes to his mailbox in December looking for a lot of Christmas cards because I just don't <laughs> think he gets a lot. That's a great way to put it, Woody. Um, let's skip to match nine. The other kind of blowout that we had in Sunday's singles was Xander Shoffley versus Nikolai Hoygaard, two guys looking for their first win in the 2023 Ryder Cup in Rome. Hoygaard actually was two up through four holes. He won number one and number three, but then Xander righted the ship, birdied five, win six, win seven, uh, and was and, and then Hoygaard actually won eight, but then on the back nine, Xander won 10, 12, 15, and 16 to win this match three and two. Xander, after having a horrible Friday and Saturday, really needed this one just you know, for self-pride, if anything. Oh, 100%. Shoffley definitely needed this. And had, once again, the cup was kind of out of hand anyway, but had Shoffley lost to Nikolai Hoygaard with everything that transpired leading up to this, it was not going to be a good deal. And Shoffley really didn't play a good day either. He lost more than half a shot on everything. He actually made a lot of putts, gained almost two shots on the greens, but hit his irons exceptionally. Horrible a day losing more than two shots in that category. So thank God that Hoygaard Really didn't have his best stuff there. Horgard putted horribly. He lost more than three shots in that category. Horgard had actually made a lot of putts in the two sessions that he had played before this. But Horgard being the only person not to win a, a full point, got the half point in a half match, but then going 0-2-1 is really the only downside you can look at for the Europeans. But him only being 22 years old, Woody, I feel like he's going to have a couple more of these to get a little bit of redemption back. Oh, by far. Shopley just got lucky he had that guy to play today, Horgard. Because uh, if Shopley <laughs> plays anybody else on their team, Shopley goes over, okay? That's what happens. That's right. So, uh, you know what? Uh, that, I don't even count that. I still say Shopley was the worst on our team. Scheffler was a close second. Fellas, let's talk about the match that I thought was going to decide the Ryder Cup. It ended up not deciding the Ryder Cup, but it was Matthew Fitzpatrick versus Max Homa. Max Homa ends up winning the match one up, but there was a bunch of drama because this was a massive pillow fight coming down the stretch. Matt Fitzpatrick wins the first hole. Max Homa wins the fourth hole. Then Matt Fitzpatrick wins the fifth hole. And then Max Homa wins eight, nine, and ten to go two up. Matthew Fitzpatrick wins 11 to only go one down. And then they tie every hole, headed to 16. Max Homa's one up in this match. And, fellas, Matthew Fitzpatrick hits first on the drivable par 4 16th. And Matt Fitzpatrick hits it in the water. And Max Homa steps up and hits driver in the water? In the middle of the water? Are you kidding me? They end up tying 16 with a bogey and then 17 they both tie 18 we get to 18 and Matt Fitzpatrick is right in the middle of the fairway Max Homa hits it 
right into the native grass right by the bunker where he eventually has to take an unplayable lie. And then Matthew Fitzpatrick hits an anti-water shot. Both of these guys hit massive anti-water shots on 18 after hitting it in the water on 16. And Max Homa, like I said, takes the unplayable lie. Matthew Fitzpatrick does not get up and down from the right side of the green from his terrible lie since he hit the anti-water shot into the rough, not the native grass. And then Matt... Max Homa ends up making the 10-foot putt to win the match. This was the ultimate pillow fight, but I felt good for Max Homa that I wasn't going to have to rip him for almost choking off the Ryder Cup. Now, it wouldn't have mattered because, you know, like we said, the matches after him, like Tyrrell Hatton, he won, and Tommy Fleetwood, he won, Robert McIntyre, he won. We'll get to them in a second. But it would have decided at that time the Ryder Cup, and the Ryder Cup would have gone to Europe if Max Homa does not make that 10-foot putt, and he made it, thank goodness, because that was the ultimate pillow fight in that match. It was also almost a mayhem-like choke for, for Max Homa coming down the stretch in that match. I couldn't believe what I was watching. We talk about this all the time when we talk about match play. You can shoot five under and lose, and you shoot five over and win. And what was this match? It was a close to about that you shoot a five over and win because Max Homa lost more than a shot and a half total and was still able to win his match. Matthew Fitzpatrick played so atrociously bad today. It's not even funny. He played analytically as bad as Spieth did the first two days, and that's really saying something. So the Europeans, they can look at Hoygaard for saying, oh, well, you didn't get a point. Well, Matthew Fitzpatrick had a, a tremendously disappointing Ryder Cup. Only analytically, the only player who played worse than Fitzpatrick this week for the Europeans was Robert McIntyre, who actually went 2-0-1, ironically, which is pretty funny. But nevertheless, what he, Fitzpatrick does have to be a disappointment for the Europeans for sure. And yes, Homa did make that vote, which gave the Americans, I guess, the guys, the fans that were a little delusional, about 45 minutes of more hope. But once again, it, it was just semantics at that point. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool that how excited Holman got me made part of to win that match because I knew you're like me, T-Dub. It was, it, it's inevitable. We're losing, but good for him. And it, a lot of guys come away from a Ryder Cup either really dejected or really full of confidence. Max Holman's going to be a guy that's full of confidence. Even though he didn't play good, he won. And uh, Fitzpatrick's going to kind of go away from this Ryder Cup going, yeah, I had that one brief stint where I looked really good with Rory. Uh, but other than that, he didn't do much. So uh, I think after a lot of celebrations, a lot of soul searchings, there are some guys that are going to come away with confidence, and Max Home is going to be one of them. No doubt about it. Max Homa, the MVP for the Americans, 3-1-1, one, and one, three and a half points in this Ryder Cup. Big-time play from Max Homa, especially on Saturday and Sunday. Fellas, let's go to match eight where Sepp Straka was taking on Justin Thomas. Justin Thomas had a two-up lead through 15 holes of this match. And remember, at this point, the U.S. couldn't even have a tie in any of these matches. They had to win these matches. And Justin Thomas let Sepp Straka win number 16, that drivable par four that we're talking about. They tie 17 and then Justin Thomas wins 18 because Sepp Straka has no balls whatsoever. 
uh, Seb Straka is right in the middle of the fairway. Justin Thomas has to lay up because he is in the fairway bunker. And fellas, Seb Straka hits a weak, necky three wood out to the right into the bunker. Ends up not getting it up and down. And Justin Thomas ends up getting it up and down from where he laid up from. Wins 18 to actually win the match two up. But at that point, I thought Sepp Straka would actually secure that half point that the U.S. needed instead of Tommy Fleetwood. But Sepp Straka ended up just having no balls whatsoever on that 18th hole. A oh, really big letdown. I'm just like you. I thought, well, when JT put it in that fairway bunker, I said, okay, well, this is going to end up being the have and this is where everything... The book's finally going to be closed on this Ryder Cup. But now, Chip Straka played a whole horribly. And we talked earlier about there being a pillow fight between Home and Fitzpatrick. There's a massive pillow fight on the greens between JT and Straka today. JT lost almost two shots on the green. Straka lost more than a shot and a half. So it was like, hey, let's hit shots close and then not make anything that we look at. That sounds like a fun way to play this round. Both of them hit the ball pretty decently, at least with their irons. And then around the greens, they had a really good short game. But on the greens, Woody, it was absolutely horrible. It was like, especially I can't on one of the holes. JT had about a six footer to win the hole, and and it didn't even didn't even have a chance to go in, miss the hole, about a ball right. And I said, okay, this this is the point where I'm like, okay, this is getting a little bit ridiculous. And like we said earlier, we knew the U- United States was not going to win. But at the same time, just get a ball in the hole, JT. You putted like shit this entire time. Can you make at least one putt, just one? Uh, well, I know what we said the whole time leading up to this. I think we started in July when we started talking about how bad we're putting. Um, and uh, after watching three days of this, yeah, we, we're still bad putters. <laughs> that hadn't changed any, has it? Uh, the good news is what these guys got to realize is it doesn't matter if they're in the United States, they're in Japan, they're in Europe, they're in Rome. Wherever they are, they still putt bad. And T-Dub, real quick, I was going to get you to tell our listeners that might be wondering, strokes gain for the Ryder Cup, it's a little bit different, but it, it's factoring in every single player, not just the player that you're playing against. That's how two two guys can lose shots on the greens, uh, strokes gain, correct? Correct, yeah. It's based off of the field accumulative. So, yeah, it, it's not have to do with your exact match. That's why we said earlier, Max Homa, from a strokes gain perspective, had he played Besides Hoygaard, Aberg, or Fitzpatrick, analytically perspective, he would have lost this match. So, yeah, it's based off of the field, not just who you're playing. Got it. Uh, So, let's get to the two matches that ended around the same time. Fellas, I thought that, you know, watching this last match kind of unfold, it looked like Shane Lowry thought that he actually uh, secured the Ryder Cup for the Europeans on 17, securing the half point. Um, But actually, a couple minutes prior, Tommy Fleetwood secured the half point that the Europeans needed on 16. Now, he ends up winning 17 as well, wins the match 3-1 and over Ricky Fowler. But on 16, Tommy Fleetwood drives the green after Ricky Fowler hits it in the water. These were the bright lights I was talking about with Ricky. Ricky Fowler, Ryder Cup on the line, coming down the stretch, and Ricky Fowler hit it in the water, and Tommy Fleetwood drove the green, and all he had to do was two-putt to secure the Ryder Cup for the Europeans. Turns out that Ricky Fowler actually gave Tommy Fleetwood the two-and-a-half-foot putt 
that would have given uh, the Europeans the Ryder Cup. He gave him that putt. It wouldn't have mattered. I thought Azinger probably made too big of a deal about that on the broadcast, considering Robert McIntyre ended up winning two and one as well. And Shane Lowry seconds later uh, secured another half point for the Europeans. So I didn't think that Ricky Fowler giving Tommy Fleetwood a two and a half foot putt was that big of a deal, considering the situation. But Tommy Fleetwood, a clutch, clutch tee shot, driving the green on number 16 to beat Ricky Fowler, secure the half point, and then he wins the match on 17. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it was that big a deal. I still wouldn't have given him the putt, though. Because at that point, you saw the emotion that happened in the crowd and the noise and all that. And we had an old man jump time. in the water instantly. We had, we had guys going and jumping in the pond, Woody. That's when you know the celebration has kicked off in full gear. So, once, once again, I, I do think it was blown a little bit out of proportion because we weren't going to win no matter what transpired. But at the same time, I still wouldn't have given them putts. Then Ricky had to make his putt on top of it still to get the tie. So, yeah, and I think it's more egregious a shot that Ricky hit into there by blowing it miles into the pond and just hitting a ferocious drive. He just had a horrible Ryder Cup. He only played the singles made it the only second session that he played. So, he didn't get a whole lot of experience losing in the first. Shop Do you guys believe that three. he was sick? Do you think he was sick? Uh, personally, I, maybe he was one of the ones that had the quote-unquote sniffles. But maybe that led to him playing some bad golf. But, but we talked about it for a while. After he won at the Rocket Mortgage, his game kind of dipped off a little bit. He didn't have the same momentum they did at the middle of the season, for sure. Well, yeah, and I think – I don't know if he was sick or not, Sam. I I think that that might be kind of a little bit about like Patrick Canley saying I wanted money for a hat. Um I think you get a lot of talk over there that is pretty, some of it not very factual, but uh, I didn't think there were the worst shots that could be hit on that hole that Max Homa did after Fitzpatrick hit it in there because Max Homa almost got it on dry land on the other side. Um, uh, But then Ricky showed me there was a worse way to hit it. And so, um, yeah, going down the stretch again, guys, we don't really perform that well. I, I, I can only hope the guy that jumped in the lake security didn't take him to jail uh that he was able to celebrate their victory I, although he's going to be miserable because he's all wet so i i just think the two and a half footer azinger made a little probably more of that than he needed to i agree with you guys i think i think ricky and fleetwood are pretty good friends to be honest with you fleetwood's one of those guys that has not won on american soil been close a number of times and a lot of guys like him so I, I wouldn't be surprised if Ricky didn't think, well, you know, let him have his moment right here. And he he, he gave it to him, and away we go. It, it, was, it didn't matter. It didn't matter once uh, the Friday was over. No doubt about it, guys. And let's get to match 10, which was Shane Lowry versus Jordan Spieth that ended just seconds after. It really didn't end seconds after uh, Tommy Fleetwood and Ricky Fowler, but Shane Lowry secured another half point for the Europeans seconds after Tommy Fleetwood secured the half point to win the Ryder Cup. Shane Lowry... I thought that 17 really kind of summed up what Jordan Spieth's 2023 Ryder Cup was. 17 is a par three where you cannot miss left. There's a false front to the left that you know goes off into a runoff area. More likely than not, you're going to be short-sighted in the rough if you miss left. Shane Lowry tees off first. 
the match is tied. He misses left, and then Jordan Spieth misses even farther left, even farther into the rough. Shane Lowry ends up having to make like a 25-footer to make a par on that hole uh, to go one up in that match. Jordan Spieth ends up winning 18 to tie that match, but at the same time, Shane Lowry, when he made that putt, he thought he secured the half point that the Europeans needed to win the Ryder Cup. That was kind of the epitome of what Jordan Spieth's 2023 Ryder Cup was. When someone hits a bad shot, I'm going to hit a worse one. We talked earlier about some matches being pillified. This one was kind of the opposite. Spieth today, well, I've ripped on this entire Ryder Cup. I'm giving him credit. He had the best round analytically of any American. Only Hovland and Rory played better than Spieth did today. So, I'll give him a little bit of credit playing there. Lowry played really good today as well. Only uh, four Europeans played better than Lowry did. So both of them showed up today. That was a very interesting match. Once again, didn't matter this late into the game. Yes, Pete did have some wayward shot coming down the stretch, Woody. It goes to show that he may have found it for a little bit, but it's still a little bit off. I get that he had the baby a couple weeks ago. So that's understandable that he's playing bad. He just came at the downfall of the Americans, and that's why Zach Johnson don't understand why you're playing him so much. I guess, like I just said earlier, yeah, the baby's not in great form, so just sim play him as much as you did Ricky. That's what should have been done. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I we we talked about this on the podcast. That baby, that that's a that's a big deal, guys. I mean, and, and Zach Johnson knew he was having this baby when he made him in one of his picks. So. You have a baby, and you don't play golf for five weeks. Oh, let's see. Oh, that's how I'm going to be sharp. I'm going to go out and really play well. Uh, and, and the picking, well, I don't know. And you know, We can really beat this up after the break, but I don't know. I didn't like Jordan Spieth at the very first shot he hit, and I didn't like him at the very last shot he hit. No doubt about it. I, I agree with both of you guys on your points on speed. Yes, he did play better today, but he still struggled coming down the stretch. The last match before we hit a break here was match 12, Robert McIntyre versus Wyndham Clark. Wyndham Clark missed so many short putts in this match. Robert McIntyre ends up winning 2-1, and one, but it almost felt like Bobby Mack was winning by default Bobby Mack's one of those guys, when he was three up early in that match, he was three up through five holes. I was going, I don't trust Robert Mack as far as I can throw him. And trust me, I can't throw Bobby Mack very far whatsoever. Uh, And Wyndham Clark did come back with wins on 8, 10, 13, and 14. But then Bobby Mack shuts him out after winning 15 and 16 and then getting the tie on 17. Match doesn't even make it to number 18. I thought that this match was one of those ones where I think Robert McIntyre almost won it by default, fellas. Wyndham Clark, I, I love him. He went to Oklahoma State, but man, he missed a bunch of short putts today. Yeah, no American played worse than Wyndham Clark did today, especially analytically. He lost almost four shots total. He had his irons horrible, lost more than two shots there, lost more than a shot and a half off the teeth. Nothing good was for Wyndham Clark, as you mentioned. Robert McIntyre almost won by default. Only three Europeans played worse than McIntyre did today, and he was still able to win two and one. So, congrats on, on McIntyre for him being able to go two when he went two zero oh, and one this week, which yeah, is pretty he didn't crazy. Lose a match. <laughs> didn't lose a match and was by far the worst European. Woody, how about that? 
<laughs> well, I think uh, I, I watched a little bit of that match, and when Sam said he couldn't throw him, I'm not sure Sam could even pick him up. He's kind of chunky, Sam. <laughs> he looks like he has some girth to him. So, uh, hey, he's fun yeah, to watch, though. He's one of those European... By the way, Robert McIntyre, the only full-time DP World Tour player in this Ryder Cup, which is crazy to think that there's he's the only European Tour player, Woody. That's different from your time, right? Well, yeah, it used to be I was almost a very rarely came over to play our tour. And then one of the years I kept my card because three of the Europeans that would have qualified for the PGA Tour did not take the uh, playing ability to come over here. So uh, it, it, it used to be where it was Europe and it was, that was it and uh, not more. But and that shows match play is its finest. That you guys were sitting here talking about McIntyre had a 2-0-1 record for this deal. And I'm trying to think, how is this guy with that record? Well, he had good partners is what he had. And then today he had Wyndham Clark who, who putted just horribly. It, it was a rough week for Wyndham Clark. I, I guess what I hope for out of this, this Ryder Cup, if there's a bright side to it at all, is the experience maybe some of these guys got that in two years, if they're back on that team, they can also remember how bad they got whooped and they want to come back and really have a good Ryder Cup on our soil. So I hope we do not get, guys, what I hope we don't keep having happen. We win when we're over here. They win when it's over there. That's no fun. It's no fun. It's it's a lot more fun for the underdog or the other team, the Europeans playing on our soil or us playing on them to pull a win on their soil. And if we're going to just keep doing this every year where it's the same kind of deal, I'm going to lose this Ryder Cup luster in a, in a quick way. Woody, it's officially 30 years since the U.S. has won on European soil. The Europeans end up winning 16.5 to 11.5. I think our predictions were, I, I know for a fact, mine was 15 to 13 Europe. I think T-Dubs was 15.5 to 13.5. I think both of you might have picked the exact same score. Um, but no, actually, I was with you, Sam. I actually picked what you said. Uh, fifteen. Uh, so you picked the close. Y'all were y'all were fifteen, thirteen. I was fifteen and a half of it. Got it. Yeah, I yeah. knew two of us yeah. were the exact yeah. same. So it, my point is, it was actually a bigger victory for the Europeans than we even predicted here on right. the seventy-third hole. After the break, I'm assuming there's a bunch of. U.S. fans out there that want to vent, so we're going to vent for you. What did Zach Johnson do wrong? What can the U.S. do better going forward? We are going to talk about that after the break here on the 73rd Hold Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. I would assume that there will be some Victor Hovland articles written on Golf Oklahoma in the near future. Definitely go tune in to that and also, we are live on the sportsanimal.com uh, every single week on the podcast page on the sportsanimal.com and the Sports Animal app. You can catch us there as well and hit the follow button on Apple and Spotify every single every single day. That would help us out. But if you just hit it one time, it will give you a notification whenever we drop a new episode like this one and we'll have great interviews throughout the quote-unquote offseason in the game of professional golf. Let's hit a break here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the 73rd Hole Podcast. 
Hey everyone, T-Dub here. I want to take a second to tell you about my good friends at McCray Roofing. Not too long ago, my roof was in desperate need of repair. There was extensive hail damage and I had many leaks that needed attention. Not only did Jeff and his staff build me a new roof, but they walked me through step-by-step of the claims process, which is something that I was very, very concerned about. Everything from the initial inspection of the roof to analyze all the damage to meeting with the insurance adjuster to make sure they were aware of every damaged area, making sure my claim was accurate. Their custom copper creations are truly beautiful and add a great touch to any roof. Not only do they do residential roofs, but they have an elite list of commercial customers, including Gallardia Country Club, Oak Tree National, and Bass Pro Shops. Check out their website at McCrayRoofing.com to view some of their work yourself and give them a call at 405-692-4000. That's 405-692-4000. back on the 73rd hole podcast the official podcast of golf oklahoma as i mentioned before the break we are going to dissect this u.s team and say what can they do better not only to win the Ryder cup which they have done on u.s soil uh in recent history but in recent history it has not happened on european soil it's been now 30 years since The U.S. has won on European soil. It's been since 1993. Guys, what could Zach Johnson have done better? I want to start it off by saying this. Before we get to the pairings, before we even get to the Ryder Cup picks, I thought that the Europeans did one specific thing better than the U.S. did leading up to this Ryder Cup. That was simple. That was play competitive golf. Now... The U.S. team took five weeks off from the Tour Championship to the Ryder Cup. Now, Brooks Kepka did play in Live uh, at Live Chicago. And, and, and Justin Thomas and Max Homa, by the way, played in the Fortinet. But the other guys did not play in those five weeks leading up to the Ryder Cup. The European squad, on the other hand, played in the BMW PGA Championship on the DP World Tour. By the way, the U.S. guys had every opportunity to go play in that event if they wanted to get some competitive golf under their belt before the Ryder Cup. But T-Dub, that was the number one thing that all 12 guys did on the European side that the U.S. guys didn't leading up to this Ryder Cup was play competitive golf. And I think that that's so simple yet so telling when we see how this Ryder Cup started. The U.S. dug themselves a hole because they looked rusty, especially on Friday and early Saturday. They dug themselves a hole that they were not able to dig themselves out of. And I think going into the future, this U.S. team should learn from that and probably play leading up to the Ryder Cup at least one time like the European side did. Like I said, also, uh, one more thing on that. I I think I said this on the radio show, T-Dub. The Italian Open was on this golf course, and it was the same week as Quail Hollow, where Wyndham Clark ended up winning at Quail Hollow in that elevated event. These guys that knew that they were going to be on the Ryder Cup team could have taken one. Remember, you were allowed to miss one elevated event. They could have taken the Wells Fargo off and gone over and played Marco Simone 
in the Italian Open, and they did that. None of them chose to do that either. So not only playing the golf course in a tournament, which is different than a practice round. They didn't do that, and they didn't play in the five weeks leading up to the Ryder Cup. I think that the rust factor was the number one thing that I saw at least early in the Ryder Cup when the Europeans dominated. Out of everything that gets talked about or complained about when it comes to the Americans, the number one thing is exactly what you just alluded to. You cannot go this long a duration of time without playing competitive golf. Paul McGinley said it best in life for him. None of these guys would have went five weeks before playing a major championship. And that's essentially what the Ryder Cup is, or that's what it should be. That's what it should be for these guys to get that opportunity to play. And they just chose not to. The three players that we mentioned, Bruce Kepka, Justin Thomas, Max Homa, as you can say, Homa had one of the best Ryder Cups. JT had been playing absolutely horrible, by far the worst ranked analytically, at least up until the last couple of weeks going into this uh, into the Ryder Cup. And he played at least about average, I guess, when you include everyone. And then Kepka, he did lose 9-7, and seven, but at least come out and played good today in the Ryder Cup. He, he definitely wasn't the worst player that we had on this team, for sure, Kepka was. So it was, the rust was so evident. And then the Europeans looked so much more sharper, looked like they had everything else going for them. I think the biggest thing they could have done was just come over and play the BMW. BMW is a massive tournament. Wentworth is a beautiful, great golf course. It would have been a, a great tournament. It would have made that tournament, which is very, very prestigious on the DP World Tour, would have made that tournament even better and ended up being a great tournament. Ryan Fox ended up winning it. I, I think that would have been the easiest route. Would he just come over and play the BMW? I don't think it would have been that hard. The, the way the schedule fell out, they were going to have to make what I call a hard decision. And I don't think our guys want to do that. Uh, I, you know, they, there's no way when they're playing an elevated event right in the States that they're going to go to Rome and play that golf course in the Italian Open. There's not a chance in hell any of those guys are going to do that. Uh, we saw they wouldn't even go bother to go to the Fortnite and play it, okay? Uh, so it's that attitude of that American that, that hey, we're, we're great, we're, we're all this, and everybody keeps telling them how good they are right up to the time they get beat like a dog. So... Um, the American squad, to say they were flat was an understatement. I mean, they they really didn't even look like they were ready to play well into this matches. Um, you know, Friday morning for sure. Um, but guys, it's it, it's simple. You you gotta have you gotta make choices in life, and uh, obviously our guys made the choice that they thought they were good enough to just play with their buddies for five weeks and be ready to go against, we know, three of the best players in the world. And it, it just doesn't work out real well. I, obviously, it doesn't work out real well. What was the score? Sam, real real quick, one point I want to make. I can get, like, obviously, Jordan Spieth wasn't going to go because he was having a kid. So, obviously, he can miss it. I can understand a couple of players not going over. But the fact that not one player went and played the BMW, that's what's shocking to me. Is not one or two of them went out of their way to go play it. That, that's what literally mind-blowing to me in hindsight when I look back on it. I completely agree with you guys. Now, let's talk about Zach Johnson. Now, I want to make this clear, and I was hard on Zach Johnson after the captain's pick saying that there's a possibility that he would be the worst 
captain in Ryder Cup history. What I did not prognosticate was the U.S. players playing as bad as they played. So there's just as much blame on the players as I'm about to put on Zach Johnson. But let's go, you know, some of the pairings that I thought were stupid on Zach Johnson's part. That would, number one, be pairing Scotty Scheffler and Sam Burns in alternate shot instead of best ball. I think what he thought on paper was I get Scotty Scheffler's ball striking and Sam Burns putting, but what he failed to realize was half the time you get Sam Burns ball striking and Scotty Scheffler's putting, and they end up losing four and three in foursomes in that one, and as opposed to like Luke Donald pairing Victor Hovland and Ludwig Obert as a great foursomes pairing, two great ball strikers. It made complete sense what Luke Donald was doing, at least in foursomes, compared to Zach Johnson. Yeah, you look at the very start, because you're exactly right. When you look at the premise of it, yes, the, if you could have Sam Burns putting Sky Shepherd's ball striking at the time, that's a pretty good deal. But Burns has not been hitting the ball very well at all the last few months. And then Scheffler's putting, we know how bad that is. And you're going against a powerhouse in Rome and Hatton. You're going to be behind the eight ball inevitably, and that's what four and three does. And then the final match, which this is the team I would have thrown out first. I would have thrown out Shoffley and Cantlay first. Try to get your – because to me, that was what should have been your best team going into this. It ended up proving not to be anywhere close to the best team. But instead, you put them as the anchor match going against Rory and Fleetwood. Fleetwood Mac, as they were calling themselves. And they go out and lose that match again. So the, the Europeans, the, the back end of that alternate shot was just so stacked. I really don't even know what teams you could have thrown out to beat those two. So to me, the middle, the middle two matches are by far the most important because we didn't really know what the Hovland Aberg team was going to be like. We know what Hovland is, but we didn't know what what Obear. Excuse me, his name because that's going to bother me probably till the end of time. Obear. We didn't know what he was going to bring in his first Ryder Cup, but he ended up playing very good as well. And then Morikawa and Fowler just played absolutely atrocious in that middle middle match. So to me, I think the back end of the alternate shot was just so heavy for the Europeans, Woody. They had to get that middle portion. And right then, they just weren't able to get it done. So, yes, I think there was a few matchups there, but I think they were just so stacked what ended up being there. It was going to be hard to win an alternate shot with how the lack of form that they had going into this. Well, you know, I think from Zach Johnson's standpoint, he thought that Scheffler and Burns are really good friends, and so they're going to play well together. Well, you know what? I'm really good friends with you guys, but I don't know that any of us would be any good in the <laughs> shot together, okay? So it's not about who's your friend, okay? It's who can actually perform. I thought it was ironic that, that Aberg, is it now, as we're calling him? Uh, uh, bear now. I it's bear now. Obear, or Obear. Uh, he, I guess one of them speaks, uh, Hoffman speaks Scandinavian, and Obear speaks Sweden. And they say they're both, they could communicate both those languages and knew what they were each saying. So, you know, me, I talk redneck, and that's about all I got. So uh, <laughs> I thought it was kind of cool that those two, uh, you know, they were perfect together. They're pretty close in age, uh, they're both dynamic. Um, yeah, you know, we said this, Sam, way back when we started this podcast. Luke Donald, it looked like he really did his preparation. He knew his players. He knew a lot about his players. I don't know that a lot of times the American players aren't telling our captain what to do. And I'm not in the room. I don't know that for a fact. 
But some of these pairings and some of these teams, and when they went out, I really want to believe Zach Johnson's not that stupid. But if he is, he gets my vote as the worst captain ever. I think the dumbest thing that Zach Johnson did was after the Friday best ball, after the Friday four ball, where Justin Thomas and Jordan Speed ended up tying that match between Victor Hovland and Tyrrell Hatton. Zach Johnson throws out Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth after you saw how Jordan Spieth was playing in the four ball. You're going to throw those two guys out in foursomes, an alternate shot where you have to strike the ball well. And by the way, there could be an argument made that Scotty Scheffler is a terrible alternate shot player. When we look at what he did in alternate shot, he lost 9-7 and seven in the second foursomes match, and in the first foursomes match, he lost 4-3. and three. Uh, So I think that those three guys right there, specifically Jordan Spieth and Scotty Scheffler, either could have been paired differently or Jordan Spieth should not have played Saturday foursomes, in my opinion. I thought that was Zach Johnson's biggest mistake by far. And putting them out first and having no momentum whatsoever, that's when you knew Europe really was going to win this Ryder Cup. If the way that the Saturday best or the Friday best ball finished didn't already kill the Americans' momentum, throwing out JT and Spieth, first match going against Fleetwood, the team of Fleetwood Max, there was no chance in hell they were going to win that match. How it ended up being two and one was an utter miracle because I thought they were. I thought if any match was going to be nine and seven, I thought that was they going to be the one. They were three down through three in that match. Now they had a little bit of fight, but I mean it was still two and one. Oh yeah, though they did have some fight. There's no doubt about that. And give them credit; they're always going to have fight. But just this, how their form of game coming into this wasn't anywhere close. And yes, I agree, uh, Sam. That I think that was by far the worst decision. Zach Johnson and May throwing them out there because there, there was no after the iron striking that we saw on Friday, Woody, you really thought Jordan Spieth was going to be a guy that you want to trust at any point hitting an approach shot and an alternate shot. It was mind-blowing to me that Zach Johnson thought that was going to be the right thing to do. And, and that's why I say, if, if Zach Johnson made those decisions, then he is the worst coach ever. I think that I, I don't, again, guys, I wasn't in the room, but I think there's a lot of times that our American team is not run by the captain, it's run by the players. And I think that goes to bode really that way when you look at the six guys that were picked, okay? Uh, Like I said, that's just an opinion. That's what I see. Uh, If not, then then you're right, Sam. Hal Sutton just got off the pedestal. Zach Johnson's got this by a landslide. Well, I think he has it as the worst captain ever, considering he throws Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth out there again in Saturday four ball afternoon and fellas they lose three and two to Justin Rose and Robert McIntyre how do you throw them out a third time after watching what you saw from Jordan Speed specifically in foursomes uh in four ball and then foursomes and then you throw them out in four ball again what are they thinking now they did I like that he kept the Max Homa Brian Harmon pairing together that was solid Sam Burns and Morikawa were successful against Victor Hovland and Aubert and then and obviously, I thought it was a nice move to take Shoffley out of the Patrick Cantlay pairing and plug in Wyndham Clark. They ended up winning that match. But how in the world are you going to put Spieth out there again, especially with Justin Thomas? What are you thinking? 
it was absolutely an atrocious decision. That Zach Johnson made a lot of bad decisions here. I just want to try to talk everyone off the cliff here just a little bit and realize this statement that y'all are trying to make, saying that he dethroned Hal Sutton as the worst captain of all time, just to put this into perspective. In 2004, the Americans lost 18 and a half to nine and a half. Remember what the score of this absolute domination fest was this week: 16 and a half to what 11 and a half. That was the that was the outcome of this one, and they lost that on home soil with Tiger Woods and on the team lost by nine points on home soil. So you want to dethrone Hal Sutton as the worst captain? Who put him and Phil Mickelson, who notoriously hate each other? There's no way that you ever put them in the same room together, let alone on the same team. So, I I mean, legitimately, I I would ask y'all, y'all really really dethroning Hal Sutton right now. Yes, and I get that it's a strong statement, and the decisions might have been above Zach Johnson's head, but after watching what we watched and the, the six captains' picks, how bad they played... For them not to have a Bryson DeChambeau who's been playing great golf recently, the American with the most wins around the world, Taylor Gooch, or if you want to go PGA Tour side, Keegan Bradley, Lucas Glover, Cam Young that were playing better than the majority of these captains' picks before this Ryder Cup That is the reason that puts it over the top for me, not even including the fact that he didn't make the the U.S. guys play before like Luke Donald did, and not even including the fact that he paired Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth three times and they didn't win a match. I think that you could either say it's a tie or I'm going with Zach Johnson considering at least Hal Sutton had his best 12. Well, Hal Hal Sutton had his best 12 the way they were doing it at that time, because I believe they were taking eight or nine guys just on points alone. Hal Sutton did not have six captain's picks. So that's why we kind of still go a little bit. Hal Sutton, he, he gets a pretty good moniker because anybody that pairs Tiger and Phil together doesn't doesn't deserve a lot of credit. Um, I, I know it's a, it's a dogfight here, guys. I, 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 well, here's what we got. We got two horrible captains. And we're trying to pick which was the worst. Uh, let's let's just say that they're both in a ditch and they both can't get out. Is that fair? No, that, that's pretty solidly fair for sure. And just to me, the overall point is is that I think that the Americans were just so off form coming into this. And in 2004, it's the same way. It was notorious that the Americans wouldn't play leading up to the Ryder Cup because there used to be even a bigger gap that there is now between that was being played. So, but I don't remember the gap being this bad in 2001 when it was that whistling straight. But nevertheless, we can get to that another time. I just feel like that the, the lack of golf being played is the thing that I look at more than Zach Johnson's bad things that he did because I don't know what else he could have done to overcome the really what was a dominant European team just because they played so well. I get that if we had Bryson, TG, and some other guys there, I think we would have a chance. But even having them there, I still don't think the Americans – wouldn't have been able to get it done just because I feel like the Europeans were riding a wave of momentum and the top guys in particular are playing so well. There was just no dog in this U.S. team, fellas, and uh, you got to put just as much blame, like I said beforehand, on the players. And I, I mean, like Woody said, we're splitting here, hairs here on who was the worst captain between the two worst captains of all time in U.S. history. That leads me to my next question. In 2025... On U.S. soil at Bethpage Black, who should be the captain? I'll say this. 
there's one guy that really sticks out that's eligible to be a captain in New York in 2025. That would be one Tiger Woods. Uh, I think he should probably get the first call teed up. I'm going to keep this really short, Woody. Unless Tiger just kindly declines the opportunity, which I, I, if he's not going to be able to play a whole lot of golf, I don't see why he would. I, I think the only sign would be that if he did, does decline it, he thinks that he may have a chance to be able to come back. So unless that's the case, Woody, I don't see a, a world where it should be anyone else than Tiger Woods. Well, here, here's a little differing thought here, guys. I like Fred Couples at Beth Page, and I like Tiger when we go to Europe two years later. I, I think if there's any chance of us getting a win in Europe, it'll be with Tiger Woods as our captain. I don't hate that. We're gonna, what about Tiger at both? It, What's preventing the U.S. Well, from that's that? Well, that was going to be my other statement. If, if, if they ever wanted to put a captain twice out, it'd be do it with on those two. Now, Back in the day, I think Tiger was a terrible Ryder Cup player. And the reason why I still think Tiger was a terrible Ryder Cup player is anytime any one of the guys that are from America was paired with him, they were scared to death of him. And Tiger just didn't really give a darn about team much at that point in his life. So it was a horrible situation. That's why Tiger Woods, I believe the record is so poor because as a partner playing with him, our poor guys were intimidated by him, okay? Mm -hmm. And then he was just such an intimidating factor that the Ryder Cup just didn't interest him much. His life, his persona, his uh, just his ego has changed so much. If there's such a captain that it could be twice in a row, it wouldn't be a bad pick. But I love Freddie Couples as a captain. He can unite a group of guys better than anybody I've ever seen. He just has that ability. Um, Zach Johnson was just close. We left out one other guy that really failed miserably, which a guy I like is Tom Watson. Watson good point. failed miserably at Glen Eagles. Guys. And that miserably. team really did have a rift in the locker room. Oh, my. Did they ever? Man, that, was, that was ugly. And there. I love and that Tom was, Watson. That was, that was one of those that really hurt me. You guys know how much I love Tom Watson, but that's a fair well, point. Well, I do, too. I do too, but it wasn't a good fit. I mean, they were they were trying to bring in an old guy, and he was going to take all these young guys and teach them how to rah rah rah. And it didn't. It went over like a turd in a punch bowl. Okay, it was not pretty. And Mickelson was the one that really stirred the pot in that deal. So That's right. I think when we come to Beth Page, it's either Couples or Tiger. I don't care which, but we need one of those two. Okay, and then. Boy, but I'd like Tiger in Europe, guys. I really would like him in Europe. So let me get you guys a little more excited here. On the European side for 2025, now assuming that things cool down after the merger, um, what if I told you it was Tiger Woods, the U.S. captain, and Sergio Garcia? the European captain in 2025 in New York. As we remember, the New York crowd was uh, getting on to Sergio for re-gripping too many times back in the past. Sergio and Tiger have had their uh, arguments in the past as well. Or do the Europeans stick with Luke Donald, who did a hell of a job? Or do the Europeans go with Henrik Stinson, who was the captain before Luke Donald accepted the captaincy after Henrik Stinson went to live. Uh, what are your thoughts on the European side for 2025, fellas? Boy, that, that's the side right there that you just have absolutely no clue about because 
Luke Donald, and one thing, thank God for the Europeans, and Luke Donald did a great job. Because just imagine if the roles had been flipped and say he did what Zach Johnson and they somehow lost. The fact that you replaced Henrik Stenson with him, that would have looked absolutely horrible. But Luke Donald got an A grade, probably an A-plus grade when you look at it. So really good for the European side that that took place. You look at guys who have been captains in the past. Luke Donald this year, Podrick Harrington before at Whistling Straits. Thomas Bjorn was in 2018. You have Darren Clark who did it right there. Paul McGinley, Jose Maria Los or uh, Colin Montgomery on that list as well. So I don't know, Wade. This is one that is tremendously – it's got me bamboozled because all the all the guys who you think that would be the captains as Sergio, a Poulter, a Westwood type guy, they're all in living. Who knows what the hell the PGA of America or, or whoever runs it on the European side will decide to do at this point. The RNA. The R, yeah, the RNA and the uh, the, uh, the whatever governing bodies they got. So, yeah, who knows what the hell is going to happen with all this, Woody? Well, we got two years to get this fixed, and and I hope it is because it, it hurts the Americans too more. I think it hurts us more than it hurts them. We're leaving off some really good players. So, I, I if I you had to ask me, I think I would think Henrik Stenson deserves to be a captain if they can get this all figured. I out. agree with okay? you, Woody. I agree with you. I, I but think do you put him in that position headed into New York, or do you wait for well, Europe? Well, see, that's where I differ. I'd say, yeah, throw him in there. Let him let him see what he can do in, in America. Uh, because I think Sergio has to be a captain in Europe. I, I just – he's got the balance there, a loss of ball. He, he is that Spaniard, okay? He is that one that John Rom loves, okay? He is the guy over there in Europe. So uh, bringing him to New York where he's kind of a little bit of a, a – you know, he would be a massive idea. villain. He would be a massive oh, villain. Would he ever? But but you know, do you need a massive villain? I mean, that's that's. I don't know. That's I would think point. it'd be more fair to put. I would think it'd be more fair to put Henrik Stenson. I would give Henrik Stenson the job back that you shamefully took away from him. Uh, it was ridiculous they took that away from him. So It was, uh, but would it give your grade on what you thought Luke Donald did? It wasn't Luke Donald's fault that they, they chose Luke Donald no. after the fact. So give your thoughts on Luke this week. Well, he couldn't have done a better job. I mean, to, to step in the way he had to with controversy and, and step in kind of when the show's already begun. Henrik had already kind of started being the Ryder Cup captain. Then all of a sudden they say, yeah, you're not. So... Uh, just to come into that kind of hornet's nest, to qualm and quiet everybody on your team, to get them all focused, and then to just completely out-captain the other guy with pairings, uh, with the, the, the crowd, the picks, everything. The picks, Woody, up, with, the picks, with, Ape, with the Aubert, picks. that was amazing. Yeah. Oh, I mean, let, let's – okay. Let's be fair. We're going to give him an A-plus, and we're going to give Zach Johnson. The only reason why I don't give Zach an F is because the players still didn't play any good. So I, I'll, give, I'll give Zach Johnson a D. I will give, I'll give uh, Luke Donald an A-plus. That's fair. I agree exactly with what Woody said. You know, T-Dub, any, any I, thoughts on the grades on the captains? I, I 100% agree. I think those were pretty much the grades. Yeah, Zach Johnson did horribly. As you said, he, he probably he, – he, he passed. Tom Watson in worst captain for sure. I just I haven't given him the crown over Hal Sutton just because how atrociously bad that is. And we're talking about guys who we don't know who will be picked for the Europeans next year, but just looking on guys who were in the role this year, it's probably going to be Francisco Molinari, who I think will probably end up being the captain just off of 
my if I had to make a bet right now, that's probably who I'd say would get it. That's interesting. I haven't thought about him either. Um, one thing Europe has going for them is a bunch of young talent. Number one on that list is Victor Hovland. Also, Rory isn't going anywhere in the next couple of years. Tyrrell Hatton, uh, Tommy Fleetwood is a little bit older. John Rahm still going to be here in two years. You got Ludwig Ober coming. You have Nikolai Hoygaard coming you have Matthew Fitzpatrick still going to be there now Justin Rose you know Shane Lowry we'll see what those guys do into the future but this European team after getting their ass kicked in 2021 is just so much more put together than it was in 2021 Uh, I don't care that they were playing on their home soil I think that they have just as much, if not more, talent than the U.S. side, which is something you would have told me I was on drugs in 2021 if I told you that that was going to happen in a couple years. Well, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, they, they, especially the top of the European team, Hovland, Rom, Rory, even like the Fleetwood and Hatton, they've been playing exceptionally great golf going into these last few months. And then, unfortunately, the Americans have so much talent, but all their guys have been trending down. Speed, JT, and not Morikawa had not been playing very well coming into it. And even the top dog, Scheffler, and his putting's been so bad lately. He had not been playing exceptionally well. Kepka won the major in the middle of the season, but he had not been playing very well. Fowler had such a tremendous Wyndham start Clark, to the season. Clark, a guy that was playing great, played terrible. 100%, yeah. And then, so you had the rush, you just had the fact they didn't play good. So, yeah, no, the Europeans showed out. And what you would have hoped for was that, for an American sake, you would have thought the likes of the, the Aberg, the Oigard, the McIntyres would have played absolutely horrible. And Bobby Mack did play bad. He's doing a 2-0-1. So if that doesn't show how bad it is, then I, I don't know what does. But unfortunately, yeah, they just they just outclassed us at the end of the day. Then you had the course setup, what they did. One thing I noticed that was interesting was that on a lot of the drivable holes, it seemed like the Americans were between clubs. They were in between the driver and the three That's a great point. And did you, did you listen? I, I think it was on Live From. They did a deal on Eduardo Molinari, not Francesco Molinari, but Eduardo Molinari, who runs his own analytics program now and had the course set up down to a science, and it worked for the Europeans. Oh, 100% it does. And that's one thing that Woody mentioned this earlier, and I feel like that's going to be the trend that we go towards because – and that's really been the trend the last 30 years where the home team just keeps on winning. With the exception of 2004, the worst captain, and 2012, the worst choke job that we've ever seen, the home team just wins every time. And it's one of the reasons for that is because you can set the course up to make your team that much better. You can do things that strengthen their game. There was not very many wedge shots that the Americans did, and the Americans were tremendously better at their wedges, which is one thing that we talked about going into the Ryder Cup. So, yeah, just the whole analytics thing, Woody has taken this course set up to monumentally new levels. That's just going to make it that much harder for the away team to win. I think what we see as much as anything, the analytics are coming into this, which doesn't shock me with all the, the, the way you guys do your homework. It's amazing how those work. But the other, other thing that will tell you that is stunning, how much two years changes something in the world of golf? You know, we didn't know Liv was going to do what it did. We had point. no idea what, what the Europeans, how great they were going to come with the the, the uh, Lubick and 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 Moronk. We didn't even put Moronk on there, and he should have been on the team. And the horse right. and yeah. So we 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 really we get kind of lost in what we had going on at that point. And in 2021, 
we looked at our American team and we were so full of ourselves that these guys are the greatest guys in the world. They'll be the world champions. They're going to win Ryder Cups for years to come. And then lo and behold, here we are two years later and we're going, what happened? So uh, we do know one thing. Two years is a long time in golf. We do know that with bigger purses, more money, easier types of tournaments with no cuts, these kinds of things, it's like my buddy Caleb King said, we're not very hungry. And now let me tell you something, guys. We got a smorgasbord in front of us, so I don't think we're going to get hungry. <laughs> I think we need some young, upcoming guys coming out of college. Uh, uh, Ludwig would have been great, except he was for Europe. <laughs> okay, so we need some younger guys coming on that are hungry. I will say and, this, and Woody, on. though. I, I will say this. This was seven different guys on the U.S. squad's first Ryder Cup in Europe. In Europe. So they, I, 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 it's I a completely different situation over there. So the U.S. is young, but they need to find some dogs. Who are the dogs on the U.S. team? We ain't got no dogs, but we don't produce dogs right now. Our, our litter has a bunch of really cute puppies. Okay, we're not putting pit bulls out there. We're putting some really cute, fluffy puppies out that have these really pretty brides and wives that prance around and put on Facebook and all these little Instagrams and all this. We don't have dogs. We don't have Tiger Woods like we used to. And he wasn't good in Ryder Cup, but we need that kind of attitude. We don't got that right now, guys. And I don't, I don't, I don't see it. But but two years a long time. I didn't see us folding like a cheap suit. And two, after two years of the Ryder Cup winning like we did, playing this bad, but it can happen. It doesn't help that our, our by far the biggest dog on our team, Brooke Kepka, has essentially been exiled from most of these guys for over a year now. That doesn't yeah. help the, the scenario one bit. Right. Great point. Yeah, Great we, point. We created that ourselves, did we not? You know? Yeah, we, absolutely. We have, we have created our own mess. Okay, but uh, typical of Americans, we want to sit around and point fingers at everybody else. Okay, yeah, we need to look in the mirror. We need to get this live thing figured out. I mean, for a guy there, like a, a no. Bryson DeChambeau to shoot a fifty-eight, win a golf tournament, and then we win the week before the Ryder Cup, and him not be on the team. I mean, something's got to change with how they set the team. It does. It has didn't even to. get a call, Sam. Didn't even get a call. Didn't even get a call. That's exactly no. right. Something has to change in regards to how they set the team. Um, Go ahead, Woody, if you have any other thoughts on that. Then I'm going to get to the records and we'll get our MVPs out. I couldn't agree with you more, though, Sam. They have to get in a room and figure this deal out. We cannot take the chance of not taking the best players we have because we can't go over over there anymore with uh, our fraternity boys and la, 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 and think, wah, rah, we're going to win because we're not. That 30 years will tell you it didn't work, and we're not taking our best 12. We better figure out how to get our best 12. Yeah, and we talk about it in the NBA. Guys, it's an international sport. Same thing in golf. It's an international sport now, and three out of the top four players in the world are not from the United States of America. Let's start off with the U.S. squad. I'm going to list off the records for each player, and you guys are going to tell me your U.S. MVP and then the U.S. guy that played the absolute worst. Um, Max Homa 
had the best record on paper, 3-1-1. Brian Harmon, 2-2-0. Two points for Brian Harmon. Patrick Cantlay, 2-2-0. Two points for him. Brooks Kepka 1-1-1. One, one, and one, one and a half points for him. Justin Thomas went 1-2-1. One, and one, one and a half points for him. Wyndham Clark, 1-1-1. One, one, and one. He earned one point. Sam Burns went 1-2-0, and oh, one point for him. Colin Morikawa, 1-3-0. and oh. Jordan Spieth, 0-2-2. Oh, Scotty Scheffler, 0-2-2. Oh, and two. Xander Shoffley, 1-3-0. And, oh. and Ricky Fowler went 0-2-0. Oh, oh. uh, Max Homa's the clear, I guess, MVP you know, <laughs> I guess uh, if you can have an MVP when you get your butts kicked like that, but Max Homa and and even Brian Harmon, you could throw in there as the best pairing and then Max Homa individually winning on Sunday despite the pillow fight with Matthew Fitzpatrick. Him winning three and a half points, you probably got to give the U.S. MVP to Max Homa. And this right here is the definition of a participation trophy. Who do we give it to? To the guys, to the team that sucked by far the worst. Yeah. So I, I guess you got to give it to Homa. Cantley technically played better analytically than Homa did, but Homa had a little bit better record and was the only, only American to play all five matches. That's something that I that we not. I don't think anyone probably prognosticated before this tournament. You said you would just pick one American who's going to play all five matches. I would not have thought it would have been Max Homa, but at the end of the day, he played some pretty solid golf, Woody, and was. Wasn't even a shining light. Was a glimmer of a, a piece of glass that you thought might have been a coin or something in the distance. And what was not a very good performance at all for the Americans. Yeah, that participation trophy you hit the nail on the head right there. Uh, I, I when you look at pure records, but I, I would say it's a close second with uh, Cantley because at least Cantley, well, not Cantley, but at least Cantley and his uh, Joey Lacava, they they showed me the only pissed off. American in the whole place. Everybody else just seemed like, yeah, we do. Oh, well, okay, you know. So at least <laughs> two. <laughs> Where we looked like we wanted to fight with somebody. That's what I was hoping for. I, I was looking for a fight on the 18th screen because we weren't winning anything else. And I don't think Joey LaCava was going to do real good against Rory either, by the way, if that became the blow. Uh, but uh, so I'll give it to Max with a close second for Cantley. Before we get to the MVP of the Europeans, who do you guys think played the worst for the U.S. team? I'm going with Spieth. Well, yeah, it's probably it's Spieth when you look at the analytics. Actually, with how bad he played today, Wyndham Clark over Charles Spieth because Spieth played exceptionally well today. I'm going to go with just who who I think was probably the most disappointing. I'm going to go with Shoffley. I get that, that Scheffler went 0-2-2 and, and Xander went 1-3-1, and but Sheff, or Shoffley did play a little bit worse analytically. And Sheffler did, and I just thought that that duo of him and Cantlay was going to be something that was really hard to beat, which a lot of people did, and ended up not being. So, if you're asking who actually played the worst analytically, it would have been Wyndham Clark. But who do I think was the most disappointing? I'm giving it to Shoffley, just a nudge above Scotty Sheffler. Okay, this is: do I want to throw up on Monday or do I want to throw up on Tuesday? <laughs> okay, so I'll go ahead and throw up on Monday and say Shoffley, but. But when you got, just a simple fact, we got four or five guys that we're all talking about. Just were you know who we didn't even ugly. mention? You know who we didn't even mention was Ricky Fowler, who didn't gain a single oh. point, but he didn't play as oh, much two. as the other guys. So, yeah, he was 0-2. Right. Oh, oh I mean. so, That's I mean, what I'm saying. He saying. wasn't as obvious I, I mean, as the other guys. 
let's just say we, our whole team ate, ate some bad oysters, okay? So let's just call them what they were. They all were shitty, okay? They really were, <laughs> except for a handful. A couple of them were pretty good, but the rest of them, I mean, how do you pick the worst? Okay, well, throw a dartboard because I can think of five or six of them that are getting my worst player of the Ryder Cup. And you mentioned the disappointment factor. I mean, Scotty Scheffler not winning a single match, that's just as bad as some of these other guys. Like you said, you could pick a slew of guys on the U.S. side who played the worst or were the most disappointing. Let's get to the European side uh, for the MVP. Uh, Let me read off these records really quick. Rory McIlroy gained the most points for the Europeans, he went four and one. Uh, Tyrrell Hatton went three zero oh, and one. Victor Hovland went three one and one. Tommy Fleetwood went three and one. John Rahm went two zero oh, and two. Robert McIntyre went two zero oh, and one. Ludwig Obert went two and two. Justin Rose went one one and one. Shane Lowry went one one and one. Matt Fitzpatrick went. 1-2, and two. Sepp Straka went 1-2, and two, and Nikolai Hoygaard went 0-2-1. and one. I'm probably going to have an unpopular opinion on this, but stay with me. I think the European MVP to me, just by a little bit, was John Rahm. And I know that he didn't gain as many points as a Victor Hovland or, or Rory McIlroy, but John Rahm got the two wins and then got the key tie... You know, with the uh, two Eagles in the last three holes on Friday afternoon, and then he ties Scotty Scheffler, who is the U.S.'s best player. Those two ties meant a whole lot to the European squad. So even though he went 2-0-2 and only gained three points, John Rahm is still my MVP for the Europeans. And this right here is the exact opposite of a participation trophy. you got so many guys. Who are well deserving could go Rom as you did, could go Hovland, could go Rory, could even go with a Fleetwood who ended up technically getting the clinching point, even a Hatton who went 3 0 1. But I'm going to give it to Hovland. I feel like that he played the best. He did lose the one match, the uh, Saturday afternoon best ball with Aberg or Obear now, lost lost that match 4 and 3. Yet he did gain the most shots analytically out of anyone playing the Ryder Cup. And I feel like just overall was just dominant on almost every time that he went out there, except that one is what he was alluding to. I think he was just a little bit tired. So where Rom got the benefit of not having to play that match, which who knows what he would have done as well. Rory went out and he had a four and one record. He would have been second in my opinion, but I'm going to give it to uh, Hovland. What he just said, I'm using the analytics as kind of a tiebreaker there. And also a little bit of the eye test. Cause every time I saw Hovland with the exception of that one match I was alluding to, he just looked absolutely dominant. Well, I, I, I like you. There, there were so many good players on their team, but I'm going to give it to Hovland for another reason. I can't give it to Hatton because he's a wine bag and I've hated him all year. I can't give it to Rory because he's a wine bag and I haven't liked him all year. <laughs> I can't really give it to Rom because I don't really like Rom. So I love me some big under Hovland. And I said, I told him on the range, I said, I'm pulling for you. So when I see him back at Oak Tree, I'm going to go. Yeah, little son of a gun, I pulled for you every match. I didn't think you'd beat us that bad, but good for you. So I'm Victor Hovland with this uh, MVP. Massive congratulations to Victor Hovland. The Europeans win the 2023 Ryder Cup 16.5 to 11.5 at Marco Simone in Rome. Fellas, T-Dub, any last final thoughts before we get out of here on this Ryder Cup recap? 
the Americans going to have to look in the mirror and realize why did we go out and get our ass kicked? I feel like a lot of changes are going to need to be done for them. And we just continue the trend. It's been over 30 years now of where we cannot win on opposing soil. Who knows when, when it'll ever be able to get done again. One thing that I do feel like needs to be a change, and I'm, I would honestly actually put money on this actually does happen at some point. I feel like they need to make an elevated event on the PJ Tour or designated, whatever they're calling them now. Make one of those a team competition, very much like they do at Zurich, and give these guys a little bit of experience with alternate shot because it's a different mindset that you have to have waiting to hit 15 to 15 minutes or so before you hit another shot. So I feel like that would be a good idea, Woody, because alternate shot has kicked our ass over the last how many ever years. And until we get that fixed, we're never going to have a chance to win on European soil. That's a great point. At worst case scenario, where all those guys live down in Florida, if they're on the team, go out and do it now and then when you're playing with your buddies. Just go try it a little bit. Uh, at least give you some kind of uh, understanding of what it is. Um, other than that, we, we need to get this live thing figured out in the next two years. we got to get those best 12 guys, Sam. That's going to be my whole point. Uh, we got to quit this fighting within ourselves, and and we got to get the best twelve guys, and let's see what we can do if we do that. I can't wait to see what the new news is over this quote unquote off season. We'll still have previews and recaps for the fall series events coming up here on the seventy third hole podcast, but definitely hit that follow button on Apple and Spotify. It's absolutely free and it just gives you a notification whenever we drop a new episode and we are going to have great interviews over this quote-unquote off-season. T-Dub, thank you. Woody, thank you. This has been Sam Humphreys on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. You can also catch us on the Sports Animal app and the Sports Animal We'll be back next week. Hope everybody enjoyed the golf. The Europeans are the 2023 Ryder Cup champions.